Good morning again. Um, thank you so much uh, for being a part of the uh, ministry uh, on, in East Fort Worth. Uh, Stop Six area is uh, more specific where we'll be planting. Uh, we actually have a location now, uh, Walton Elementary. It's right across from Dunbar, if you're familiar with, uh, with Fort Worth. Um, and it's just been a really good couple months. Um, before, uh, before we dis, uh, decided to meet at Walton Elementary, which is in Stop 6, uh, it, it was a little concerning. Where were we going to meet? Uh, we were thinking uh, further north, Meadowbrook area. And our heart and our desire, uh, me and Canaan's desire, has always been to be closer to Stop 6, marginalized area. Um, somewhat of a high crime area, single moms, um, just a lot of need as far as, I mean, any population, any community has a lot of need, but th this was an area that we felt like we were called to. And God opened the door. Uh, I, I, I walked in with uh, about 40 backpacks um, and that got me through the door. And I want you to know that you purchased those, back, those backpacks to get me in that door. And uh, I've been in that door probably twice a week, um, you know, for the last four months at Walton Elementary, meeting with kids, meeting administration, um, helping them with car line. Um, actually started a mentoring program um, there at, at the school. Uh, actually met with like 20 to 25 kids in uh, five at a time. Uh, it's been going. It's been going so good. And so I. I feel bad that I, I mentioned all the things that we're doing at, uh, as far as ministry with Pillar because I really feel that our main ministry there in East Fort Worth um, is partnering with the work that's already being done. Um, so our heart is to go into those schools and love and care for those teachers in those schools that's with those kids every single day, every all week. And, and, and they uh, need that extra, uh, whether it be male, female support in their classrooms or after school or whatever it may be. Um, that is the focus of our ministry and our heart in, in planning a church um, in, in Fort Worth. Uh, we want to see lives changed um, because of our presence um, in East Fort Worth. So continue to please pray for that. Um, Last time I was here, uh, uh, Judy um, asked me, um, how's your prayer team? And that was a really, that was a conviction. That, that, I was really convicted. Like, oh yeah, prayer team. That's right. Because this is God's work. That's the reality. This is God's work that he'll be doing uh, through us. He's using us. And so uh, we began to pray. Linda and I began to pray more specifically about things. And honestly, that's kind of where I started to see a big transition from where we're going to be meeting. And so all of a sudden, I get into the doors of Walton Elementary and they say, yes, we would love for you guys to meet here. And so uh, God did that work, um, you know, just showing uh, his faithfulness as we um, pray and, and ask him to lead us. Um, this morning, um, how about I start with prayer and then uh, I'll get right into it. Dear God, um, I'm grateful to be in the midst of uh, family. 
it's really good to see fam family, people who love me, love my kids, my wife. Um, it's really, it's a really good feeling, God, and I'm just grateful for uh, amazing opportunities uh, like this. I spent 14 years here, God, and you taught me so much through these people. And then they uh, are sending me out in a way, God, um, to do the work of the ministry, to spread uh, your truth. The truth that, um, that I honestly, a lot of it was learned here um, in um, under Pastor Bill's um, teaching and discipleship and direction, God. So I just pray that, um, God, that you would just bless this uh, time uh, with my family, that um, hearts would be open and um, we would all grow in closer um, proximity, relationship to you, God, um, that we would learn to love, to to have secret time with you. We would learn to, to anticipate our time with you and be excited about what are you gonna do in those private moments in prayer, God. So I pray that you would do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2006, two um, movies um, came out um, that were similar uh, to each other, two like magician movies. Uh, one was The Illusionist. Um, have you ever seen that, Illusionist? Yeah? And then the other one was The Prestige. Which one was better, you thought? Prestige. I thought Prestige, super interesting. I thought Illusionist was good, Michael, so don't, and yeah. But I thought Prestige, the Prestige was super interesting. Um, two magicians, uh, that worked together at one point <clears throat> um, became compete, competing magicians in, in the same area. Um, these men, um, you know, tested the limits, pushed the limits of, of what they can do on stage. Um, w one of them was Hugh J Jackman, I uh, don't know his name from the movie, Hugh Jackman, and the other one was Christian Bale. Um, and Christian Bell was one of the magicians that kind of left the, the, the team and went out on his own. And uh, he became pretty popular on his own. And one of the tricks that he uh, started doing um, was amazing. He had two closet doors, you know, one closet over here with a door and the other closet on this side of the stage, way on the other side of the stage. And, um, this trick was like his final act as he was leaving the stage and as you know, the crowd stood up and applauded him. And he would stand on one side of the stage, the, the door would be right here, and, and then the other um, part of the stage would be another door, closet door. And he, he took a little bouncy ball and, and he would throw it across and right when he threw it across, he would go into this closet door and immediately when he closed the door, he would come out the other closet door and catch the ball. Hugh, Jack, Hugh, Hugh Jackman was like, I gotta know how he's doing this. 
So he would go in disguise to his shows and, and, and would just look and like, okay, what is he doing? What is he doing? And one of the main things that he thought, he was like, well, he just has a look-alike and, and he's just coming out the door. But he's like, no, that can't be it. It can't be it. And I'll tell you in a minute why, why he thought that couldn't be it. But um, even his, his, the people that Hugh Jackman was working with was like, relax. He just has a look-alike. He just paid somebody to sit in that door. When he threw it across, he just came out. And then he just taught him to have the mannerisms and to bow. And then the show was over, right? Hugh Jackman said, no. No way. No way. There's got to be more to it. In reality, it was more to it. And the reason that Hugh Jackman was sure that it was more to it is because he was a magician. He knew how important that final moment, that final act was. To stand on that stage, he lived for that moment when the crowd roared and it came up and they applauded him. He lived for that moment. That can't be the trick because magicians live for that moment. It ended up not being the truth, he, he, it was, Hugh Jackman was right. I don't know if I should tell the rest of the story, but the, anyway, I'm not. Watch the movie. Watch the movie. But, it, but it, it, it's true that, and for, for us as Christians, sometimes we're just like Hugh Jackman and, 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 and Christian Bell in that movie where that is the moment that we're really waiting on. We're waiting on the applause of people. And we say, this is our moment. This is what I live for. They're paid to do that, and, and, and they have great careers. I'm not saying that actors and, and these people shouldn't look for applause, but what we have to be careful of is, as, be, as believers, living for that same applause. Our scripture today is coming from Matthew 6. And I believe there's a tragedy, the great tragedy of, of um, living for this. We miss out on our best life. That God has wants to give us so much more. He wants to give us so much more. Matthew 6 some from verse 5, and I'll read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father, 
in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are faced with two different rewards, two different opportunities in the midst of prayer. I believe that one is a fleeting praise, one that is short-lived, doesn't last. It's kind of like field goals kickers. We, we praise them one week, kicking the game-winning field goal, and then we're ready to chop their head off the next week. We do it, Cowboy fans do, do it a lot with Dak Prescott. They love him one week, and boy, get rid of him. They'll do it with Jerry Jones year after year. He's a genius. Next year, he needs to sell the team. It's fleeting. But this is sometimes what we live for, that moment of praise from other people. The focus here when Jesus is um, preaching, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, the focus here is not to condemn us for something that he already knows that we have a tendency of doing. And that is being hypocritical. It's what we do. So when we think about this word hypocrite, or we think about these tendencies is that Jesus is saying about the Pharisees or the religious leaders that would go into the streets and, and want to be seen in their public prayers. Don't think about that girl at work or don't think about your neighbor. This is something that we do a lot. And if we push this, 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 this sermon, we preach this text on to somebody else and say, I wish they were here to hear this. Or we think about that TV evangelist with that million-dollar home and say, that's a hypocrite. And so we point to other people. We miss out on what God is really trying to do with us in this text. We're the hypocrites. We're the ones that walk in hypocrisy sometimes in our prayers and in our lives. The scripture before that talks about giving to the needy. I'll confess to you, it was two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago that I didn't pray, Judy. I had a bunch of gifts for uh, Walton Elementary School that we'll be meeting at. I had a bunch of gifts. I heard the Spirit tell me, do this tomorrow, Eric. You, you got time. I ignored it. I ignored it. Why did I ignore it? Because I needed to get to that school and I needed to show off what I had for them that day. I said, no, I, I, I got to get this. We got to do it today. I don't want to keep in my car. So I started making excuses. Holy Spirit was saying, just, just wait till tomorrow. You, you'll do it tomorrow. You got time. I didn't even tell Linda this, but it was, it was so devastating to me. 
after I dropped those gifts off? Why would I ignore the Spirit's direction to wait a day? Because like Hugh Jackman, I wanted the praises of the people. It was subtle. It wasn't like, oh, you know, overt. I needed somebody. No, it was just really subtle. But what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Not because I don't believe that God is going to forgive me, but at that moment, I had an opportunity to wait on God. And I chose not to. The focus is that his followers were praying for the right reason. Not to condemn you, not to say you hypocrite and you'll always be there. No, but to lovingly guide us back to the true reward, which is him. This is not Jesus on a rampage. We all do it. This is Jesus loving us well. He knows that our tendency to perform, so he says, don't be hypocritical like the Pharisees. They talk so that other people can be amazed at their piety and their, their religious um, you know, words and, and how, how well they speak and their oratorial skills. And he says, no. I don't want you to be like the Pharisees because I don't want you to miss out on the true blessing of what it is to pray. The KJV in verse, I'll just read in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room. What does the KJV say? Anybody know? It says closet. I love that term. Closet. I'll tell you one reason I love it. It wasn't, but about a year ago, about a year ago, I can remember being in my literal closet. And you ever have those, those days, those moments in your life where you just can't pull it together? And what drew me to my closet was not just like, you know, like, oh, this is my time to pray. No, I had to go there. I didn't want my family to see me at that moment. But what's amazing about that, that moment was that when I went to my closet, God met me there. I can remember not even caring what my tears were doing to my shirt. And my face was just disgruntled. Just everything was gone. And I said, God, I need you at this moment. I didn't go running and calling anybody at that moment because I knew what I was going through was much deeper than anybody could touch. Much deeper, much stronger. And in that closet, God changed nothing about my situation. He changed nothing about my situation, but God, he met me there. There's the reward. He says, don't miss that moment when he meets you in your closet in that secret place, don't miss that moment. He met me there. Your closet may be your car ride to work. 
your closet. It just may be a walk around the block. My mother-in-law, for 28 years, has, has cared for a nun, which is my sister-in-law. She's handicapped since birth. She lays flat on a bed 24 hours, just about 24 hours a day, unless my mother-in-law or somebody lifts her head and her back up. My mother-in-law feeds her, changes her diaper, bathes her. For 28 years, she's done this. But for 28 years, she's been the most devoted, passionate prayer that I've ever known. When a nun is in her room, or in, when she's living with us, she's in her room, and a nun does, she says this thing, this, she says, Aia! She's calling my mother-in-law, uh, Tabitha. Aia! Aia! She can't talk. She can't see. So that's her communicating to us or to mother-in-law. She's mad. And so my mother-in-law tries to get five seconds to watch a little CNN. Nope, it's got to run back to the room. She's back and forth. This is her life. This is my mother-in-law's life. There's times that I hear Aia, and I hear it low. And, then, but, and I'm like, why is she calling her, she's, she's in the room. Aia. And it gets louder. Aia. Hi. And then it just gets crazy loud. What's going on? My mother-in-law is in her closet. At that moment, she's not going to attend to a nun at this moment. She knows a nun will be okay. For the 20 minutes, she'll praise. And she prays in that moment, believing that God will meet her there. Believing that this time is well spent to ignore the screaming in our whole house. It's like, it's loud. And I'm just like, mama must be praying because it's getting louder. Susanna Wesley, the mother of John and Charles Wesley, used to take an uh, apron, a scarf apron. She had a bunch of kids and worked a lot, you know, had farm animals, had a bunch of kids and, and cared for the home. She would take an apron and, and she told the kids that when you see this apron, because there was no place in the house to go for privacy. When you see this apron over my head, don't mess with me. I don't know if she said it like that. <laughs> don't mess with me. That's how I would say it. On oh, my mom. Because I'm in my closet. That, that time with God was so important to her that even though she didn't have a room to go in and hide away from her kids, she said, I got to have this time. She devoted herself to meeting with God in her closet. How bad do you want joy 
Ask yourself, how often do you go to your closet? Those things are, go together. How bad do you want joy? Ask yourself, how often do you get to your closet? God says, I don't want you to miss your reward. I don't want you to be like the hypocrites. Do you pray often? Your closet prayer is next to your wife in bed praying while she's wearing, reading or watching her favorite TV show. You could have prayed for her holiness, her righteousness, for her, her next day. She has no idea. What we did before the service in that back, Steve, that was, that was closet prayer. We weren't praying so that y'all can give us applause. That was closet prayer. There was, there was time asking God to do a work in this service this morning. For God to show up, to do things in our hearts that he's never done before. Steve said, bless Eric, bless the message. That was a closet prayer, not for praise, not for public attention, but for God to show up this morning. How bad do you want it? Closet prayers a prayers of faith. Why is closet prayer a prayer of faith? Because if you go in there and he's not real, then you've just wasted your time. You've just wasted your time. At 39 years old, I've never been disappointed by God in my closet. God always, he either meets me there or he meets me later on that day. But it all had to do with that moment in my closet. Closet prayer is a prayer of faith. I'm so thankful that God is here in secret and rewards us. He really does. Closet prayer does lead us to people, even though we're not supposed to look for the applause and the praises of people. Closet prayer leads us to the people that we should be talking to and that who want to help us. Closet prayers do change the way people react to us. So it's not like that we don't need our our family members here at church and our friends and the people who can lovingly walk with us through our struggles. But when we pray, we change. The people who interact with us, they change. These are important moments. So don't think setting your alarm 20 minutes earlier than normal is a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. It changes everything. We feel like prayer, secret prayer, is inactivity. It's not inactivity. If God is who he says it, he is in, in prayer, this is the most productive time 
that we can take during our day is to get to our closet. Take the time to pray. I promise you that your time in prayer in the morning will change everything about your day, your week, who you are before people. Praying in secret is either is a waste of time in a closet or it's an intimate time with the God of the universe. It's one of the two. The secret prayer is a posture also. It's a posture of belief in God rather than man. It's a posture, it's posturing ourselves to meet with God and not be distracted by outside circumstances or even our own sinful desire to be liked or to be praised by other people. The secret place is not secret as you think, hidden, like out of sight, no. But rather secret like a private conversation that may be heard by other people, but your audience is one person and one person alone. That's God's plea and that's God's message to us here. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is his message to us. He doesn't want us to miss out on our reward. Don't pray like the hypocrites in the streets, on the corners to be heard. Our Father knows more than you know about yourself. Our Father knows more than we know about ourselves. And he knows what we want. He knows what we need. So when we go to our closet, when we go to that moment and we go to prayer, what do we pray? He gives us a model prayer in verse 9. He said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let me back up a little bit. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Don't, don't turn there. Or which of one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, a couple postures that we should have as we go into our closet. He knows what we need. He knows what we want. He knows both of those things. So maybe we should ask him what we should pray. Ask God what it is that we should pray for in that moment, in that time. Ask the God that knows and loves you. A father that loves you and likes giving good gifts. Two postures. One who knows what you need and the other one, one he loves you and loves to give good gifts. Then he gives us a model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is how we should pray. We shouldn't specifically pray this prayer. We can. This could help us 
and lead us, but he models how our prayer should somewhat look in that closet. He says, worship. We're made for worship. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Another scripture says, we're his workmanship created to do good works. We should pray with the backdrop of our prayer being your glory is what is most important at this moment. Your glory. Not what I want to bring to you and what I think I need, but your glory. Verse 10, your kingdom come. Repeat his promises. Your kingdom come. Know that as he prays, as you pray, God has the end of all matters. He's going to work all things and his kingdom will come. And you are part of bringing that kingdom. You're a part. And as you pray, you ask God, what do I have to do? What am I a part of? What am I supposed to be a part of as your kingdom comes? Your will be done. Our posture is seeking his will in prayer, not our own will. On earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. How much bread? Our daily bread. This is somewhat of a reference, if you remember, when Moses was walking the, the, the children of Israel through the wilderness. God provided manna for the day. For just that day, except, except one day that he asked them on the Sabbath, hey, take for two. Give us our daily bread, whatever that may be. Not too much, not too little. This is a reference to the people in the wilderness. This creates a posture of faith when we pray. We're believing in God for our daily bread. Not a bunch stored up. I'm secure. I'm good. I don't really need to pray because I got it stored up. No, it creates faith in us when we ask for our daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When I used to read this in one of my translations, you say evil one, but either way, there's a couple things that's happening in 12 and 13 that I see. Seriously, this prayer could take like four sermons, but the main thing I see in 12 and 13 says is a, is a prayer of repentance when we go to our closet. Forgive, confess, not to be saved again, that we would be sanctified. The posture of prayer is a need for sanctification through the spirit work within us. Concern yourself with what tempts you in your prayers in those times. What are the things that come in your life and you're tempted by right now that you're struggling with right now? 
you've been fighting God with or you've been asking God to take out of your life for 10 years. Those are the things in verse 12 and 13. He says, these are the things, the evil things that are keeping you from showing forth my glory. These are the things that we pray for during our closet time in prayer. Our prayer should have something to do with asking God to help us in this fight with the evil one. The concern is in our prayer should be of sanctification. More than a new house, more than health, more than healing. 12 and 13, in verses 12 and 13, there's more concern about personal holiness than about a successful business venture. Or a house, or health. What is a house what is a house that is bank approved but not God approved? What is health if our bodies are not used to show the beauty and glorious grace of God? What is healing if it does not point to the power and the work in your life? What is a church plant if it doesn't show the power and glory of God? What is a successful business venture without holiness and, and integrity? The prayer is about our holiness and God's glory through obedience to his will. Are we asking God in that time, in our secret time, asking God for health or for holiness? Are we asking for our will to be done or asking him to help us submit to his will? If you think about it, this changes everything about our prayer. Now we listen longer in our prayer. We, we talk less, and we end up listening longer. We end up opening our texts, and we end up reading it just a little longer because we know that if there is going to be a voice, it's going to come from the text. If there's going to be direction for our life, it's going to come from the text. And so it changes everything about our prayer. We don't go to him like Santa Claus or a genie. We go to him with a posture of submission and the desire to see him glorified. It changes our prayers in our closet, even in the hardest times. We listen more. We find ourselves desperate. We find ourselves hungering for his word and for his truth and his direction because we have no other way. Our prayers change. Our desire is not to be seen and praised by men, but to know God and his will for our lives. Praises of men. Praises of our friends and family. Our congregation is fleeting. Jesus knows of this fleeting praise. When they, he's riding on a colt and they're spreading palm branches. They're praising Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And the next day they're saying crucify. We we should not seek the praises of men, for it is fleeting and not lasting. But where God meets us in that closet and we pray in secret and what's done in secret, he says he rewards us. 
He rewards us with his presence. And Jesus, Jesus endured the hypocrisy of the people at that moment. Why? He endured the hypocrisy for that moment because he knew that he was about his father's business. He knew that there was a life to be saved. And his name was Eric Darjan, and he needed a savior. So he endured the hypocrisy. He endured the false accusations. He endured the cross. He endured the punishment. He endured those things because he knew the veil needed to be torn. And he wanted to bring us back to him. He wanted to bring us back to him in that closet, in that personal time. So he endured the cross, despising the shame of it, something he didn't deserve. But because of love, he endured it. He endured the hypocrisy of the religious leaders that sentenced him to death. He endured it for us. And today we stand, or we are people forgiven because of his endurance, not worrying about the praises of people, but knowing. Knowing that he loved us and this was the only way. This was the only way for us to be put in right relationship with him. That's part of his reward is walking in the will, in the work of God. He said, did you not know when he was a little boy? Did you not know I had to be, I was in my father. I, I was I, I needed to be in my father's house later on the, the, he was talking to the Samaritan woman. And the disciples said. Did you eat? And, and he said, I have food that you have no. You, you don't even know about. And that was to do the will of the Father. Our reward has a lot to do with walking in obedience and love for him. And that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He was doing the will and work of the Father to save us and to bring us back to him. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the grave. You will be saved. That's the truth, guys. That's the truth that he has brought us close and brought us and torn the veil that we can meet him in that closet. Because Jesus died for us. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the work that you have done this morning in, in, your, in your word and possibly through me a little. Thank you that um, your word will not return void. That even Even despite me, you're able to use moments like this 
to show forth your glory, to show forth what's most important. God, I pray that we would recognize what's most important this morning, that we would walk in in a desire to meet you. And then as we meet you during the week in our closet, help us to come on Sundays like this, ready to worship corporately, God. Help us to be so engrossed in your word and in your truth and in those times that you spoke to us in our closet that when we come on a Sunday morning, there's an atmosphere that's here at Christ Community that's built up because we walk in filled with reward, the presence of God. God, do that work, God, in this church and in my heart, in Pillar Church, in Paradox Church, these churches that we're a part of, God. Help us to be people that that changed the atmosphere because of our secret time during the week. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.